It is a center for higher learning. It is a place with centuries of secrets in its shadowed halls. This is where you have come to learn the mysteries of the cosmos. Welcome to the Miskatonic University Podcast. Welcome to the Miskatonic University Podcast, Episode 79. This is the podcast dedicated to Call of Cthulhu and other horror and Lovecraft-related role-playing games. I'm Keeper Dan. And I'm Keeper Chad. In this episode, we riff on some creature combinations. And I'm Keeper John. Yeah, it's uh, like jazz, but with monsters. We're going to start things off in the Campus Crier. Miskatonic University Campus Crier. Campus Crier's Miskatonic U student paper. We're just going to go through feedback and news. This episode is recorded on May 17th, 2015. Starting off, we have another release that was originally put forward in the Call of Cthulhu 7th Edition Kickstarter. The book Nameless Horrors has now been released in PDF. And if you were a backer, you got a code to be able to get a copy of that free. Yay. I got mine. Yep, me too. It's good. And it's got all sorts of cool stuff in, in there. Yeah, I need to uh, read through them. Uh, there's only one that I recall doing a playtest on. And, uh, man, that one that one was so good. And I, le- I love that it's... Uh, Six Adventures, and it may as well just be called, and you could rename it instead of Nameless Horrors, just uh, rename it the uh, Good Friends of Jackson Elias podcast book. <laughs> I mean, it's huh. all it's all three of them. Each of them yeah. you know, gave in uh, uh, two scenarios. So, mm-hmm. And these are all non-mythos, right? I need to dig into it. The way the description is, is that it, they're all mythos, but they're not known mythos creatures that's kind of how it's phrased you know the horrors let's see you won't find any ghouls or deep ones or other named mythos entities here the horrors found within have no names but they're still very much of the mythos okay so they're original creatures to deal with gotcha interesting and uh paul fricker's the moon child which we discussed a little bit in the last episode is in this book. Ah, good. So good. that's the other game that I played at uh, Gen Con 2013. Ha. That uh, Paul ran. You play tested a different one, John? I did. I'm, I play tested The Space Between, uh, written by Scott Dorwood. Okay. Oh my God. That was amazing. Hmm. It is, I, you know, obviously I, I want to give away nothing on it. But it is so good. Um, the only thing I'll say is that it's a, uh, a modern, uh, modern scenario set in uh, um, Hollywood, Las Vegas. You know, in the in the in the Hollywood scene of Las Vegas. Holy cow! It was so good. <laughs> yeah, 
It's a very cool selection of things that are just outside of what you're normally going to find. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's nice. It's stuff that you can drop into an existing campaign or it's really nice one shots. Again, I need to go through and check out the uh, different scenarios, but it looks like it sounds like they uh, uh, are available across different uh, time periods and whatnot. So, so yeah, especially, I mean, really the only one I can speak with with any uh, experiences, uh, the space between. And uh, it was it was an amazing one shot. I could see mm-hmm. just, you know, doing that just to uh, palette clean, you know, between uh, yeah. uh, some some uh, classic era, you know, 1920 gaming and stuff like that. Or or um, uh, pr- this is certainly not an introductory adventure. Um, this might be something good if uh, players have experience in Call of Cthulhu, but maybe they they campaign a completely different game and they just want to go back and do an occasional call Cthulhu every now and then uh-huh. ding space between. So, and, and, and this book, I, I bet this would be just a, this book in general would be something great that uh, experienced players could uh, really dig into and, uh, and have a great time with. So. And then next up, we've got some Gen Con news which is kind of cool to start having that sort of thing. Uh, The events and games and stuff are now up, and at this particular moment, they are set for uh, being able to put it in your wish list. Later today, uh, let's see, five hours and 42 minutes from now as we're recording, then you can actually buy your tickets for events and games and whatnot. So if there's a game you want to get into specifically... Good luck. So it has already opened by the time you're listening to this. Yeah. (laughs) But seminars are rarely sold out right away. Right. And uh, there is going to be a Chaosium Call of Cthulhu seminar. Uh, That's on Thursday at 4 p.m. It's an hour and a half long, and that's got Mike Mason. And then there's going to be another panel that is called Cthulhu All-Stars at noon on Saturday, and that's going to have uh, Mike Mason, Sandy Peterson, and, well, others. Bringing it up right now, that's being hosted by Paizo. Interesting. Moderator and Paizo creative director James Jacobs. Uh, Brian Katzel of Warpo's Legend of Cthulhu. Nice. Let's see. And that's the only names they really give in the description. But Mike told me that he'll be there as well as Sandy. Very cool. Well, it's interesting that Paizo is involved. Yeah. In a Cthulhu panel. I mean, I I know that there are Cthulhu elements in Pathfinder. I don't know if there's planning something else. Are they releasing some kind of Lovecraft source? No idea. Material? Interesting. Maybe they just knew that the... uh, keyword of Cthulhu would get them people into a seminar. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, I, I hate to be cynical, but I wonder what's uh, what they're cooking there. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they're gonna maybe announce something they're doing. I, I think I remember that there is something directly Lovecraftian in, in uh, Pathfinder. Hmm. So maybe it's about that little bit. Pathfinder yeah. folks, uh, you know, comment in the forum and set us straight. Cause I, yeah. yeah. Let us know if you have an idea of what connection there is with 
Paizo and uh, Lovecraftian stuff. But yeah, that's going to be cool. I am uh, set to record both of those panels. Oh, you going to Gen Con? I'm hoping to. I'm nice. now in the process of saving. I got my press badge. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks to the new job, saving is actually a possibility. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. So, that is uh, a goal. Then we've got Strange Remnants. This is a new expansion for Eldritch Horror. That's cool. I, that's a great board game. I enjoy it. I've played it a few times. Um, this Strange uh, Strange Remnants will be the uh, third expansion for it. I've only got one of the expansions. I need to get. Uh, I really need to get the second one that had come out, which was a slightly bigger one called the uh, Mountains of Madness. It added a second board. You could go and on the main board, if you go to Antarctica, you can then transfer to this uh, this sub board uh, for that expansion. I haven't picked that one up yet. Need to do that. Need to get this one. You know, I love board games. So, yeah. And as usual, Fantasy Flight has amazing production values. On the page that we'll have linked in the show notes, the yep. check out the art because these are just beautiful. Yeah, I know. I know. Strange Remnants uh, for fans of the Eldritch Horror board game. Strange Remnants is going to introduce a new element, um, uh, ancient uh, locations, I think, or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so this will be uh, a new. Uh, more, it's going to be more than just a new uh, great old one to, to fight. It'll be a new uh, rule that you can add into your game uh, that may have uh, impact on all subsequent or possible subsequent uh, expansions as well. And I think the, the horror that you're fighting in this one is some sort of cosmic entity so you're it says in the uh, in the description of the, of the box that you're you're fighting the universe instead of just a uh, a single great old one. Oh, so it's like life yeah 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 right. <laughs> <laughs> and have you guys seen the videos since we were kind of goofing about uh, uh good friends of jackson elias uh again an amazing podcast uh, with Paul Fricker as uh, one of their hosts, co-author of uh, of the new Call of Cthulhu Seventh Edition, have y'all seen the uh, the videos that Paul has produced? I haven't yet. Actually, I've not watched they're those. Really, really good. Uh, they're really quick. Right now, there are two videos uh, on on the Blasphemous Tomes website, and uh, we'll have links to those. Um, the interesting thing I found is that um, the videos are very explicitly set as companions to the quick start rules. Uh, mm -hmm. So right. it's it's not uh, videos on Call Cthulhu in general. It it really is calling out explicitly uh, the Call Cthulhu quick start rules, uh, the um, abbreviated. Uh, version of character creation that's available in the quick start rules. And, uh, and so he, uh, Paul uh, uh, is doing the videos. He, uh, he gives a walkthrough on, on doing character creation, like in video one character creation of uh, uh, using those rules. Um, video two was uh, really cool because he, he's giving just a very, I mean, these are very basic uh, videos for, yeah. for that, for that audience on on how to roll dice and and use your skills 
so on video two, it it uh, talks about you know you're trying to roll equal to or less than, and then because of the dynamics of uh, seventh edition, he talks about uh, standard, hard, and extreme skill checks and rolling dice for those. And the video two also includes uh, the rule for bonus and penalty dice and uh, pushing of rolls. Cool. So that so that's a place you can direct people who might be Cthulhu curious, but don't necessarily yeah. want to uh, buy all the books and see if they like and, it. Yeah, exactly. And yep. each video is only like three or so minutes long. Yeah, really great. They're really short. Yeah, they're really short and really great. You know, because they're so short because of the, the editing, they just keep it at a nice clip. I mean, it, it moves fast. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a brilliant idea. I'm really glad he put that together. And hopefully there'll be more on the way that'll expand out maybe past what's in the quick start to include some of the other concepts that were brought in. You know, having a video that goes into, like, the new chase rules would be very cool. Uh-huh. You know, things like that, I think, would be really beneficial. Yeah, they did an episode about the chase rules, but... You know, it's nice to have a, specifically a primer, not just an episode mm-hmm. of a podcast, so you can dial in and listen to just a few moments. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. Then next up, this is just sort of a weird little thing that I ran across, is that there's a company called Middle of Beyond that has produced some uh, nicely geeky blankets, and one of them is a Cthulhu idol. Nice. And I, I love that the trim up at the top and the bottom of the blanket yeah. is the, is the elder sign, and it's my favorite. It's the tree. It's instead of the star. Yeah. It's the tree. Lovecraft's elder yeah. sign. And then also the uh, another one that's kind of in our general area is uh, the scholarly skull. <laughs> yeah, a skull with a mortarboard hat and a pipe sitting on a book. Although I gotta say, my favorite of the, I mean, they have five blankets on this website. My favorite of the five is the hotel blanket, and it's the carpet pattern. Yeah, from uh, the Shining. That's yeah. so brilliant. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, this is very odd stuff. And if you look at their main page, I mean, they've got all sorts of bizarre things. They have a here that I would love to get for like the holiday season. They have a Sasquatch uh, holiday sweater. Nice. That I would just love to get. Wow, they have a Cthulhu sweater. Did you see that? Yeah. That looks awesome. Yeah, they've got a cardigan pullover sweater. They've got a glass ornament of Cthulhu. And they've got a rug scarf. They've got a bunch of Cthulhu stuff. Yep. This is a really cool site. Yeah. Middle of Beyond, and you know they they abbreviate M O B, and the O is a is an eyeball, a a, a lidless eyeball staring at you. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Sweaters, nice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they have a Cthulhu cardigan. That's awesome. And they have a Krampus uh, Christmas sweater. Yeah, that one's scary. <laughs> yeah, uh, that would be great for one of those. Um, you know, Christmas, I don't know what's going on with the Christmas sweater craze. I don't know who started it, but it is out of control. That would be an, a nice one, nice counterpoint to essentially Satan faces. <laughs> 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 yep. 
Yeah, and there's a zombie Santa Claus Christmas sweater, which is pretty awesome. Oh, yeah. On the uh, second oh, page there. And so, one of yeah, the Christmas, one of the Christmas some... sweaters is a giant D20. Yeah, they've also got a rug of a uh, D20. So that's something you can put on your uh, gaming room floor. I have a this is great big D20 rug. And ornaments and scarves and sweaters and all sorts of stuff. They, they're very imaginative in how this stuff goes together. It's very cool. Although I will say for unique products like this, you will you will pay for a unique price. That's for sure. Yeah. 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 They're at a premium because they are custom designed yeah. by the site. So something to be aware of, but you know, go take a look. These are neat things. And I had put together a little thing here where I mentioned before we got our spread shirt store where you can get, you know, our t-shirts and stuff for a lot less than what they used to be, around half cost. And, well, I got it now set up on our own site where you can see that stuff without going to Spreadshirt. Yay. And so I've got mu-podcast.com slash storefront. And that goes to a page where basically you select the logo that you're curious about seeing on something. And then it'll simply show you all the products with that logo. Okay, cool. That's cool. So if I click on the MEP shield, oh, look at that. Buttons, bags. How do I get to other, uh, are there things other than shirts and stuff? Or does it depend on the design? Well, it depends on the design. Like I, see. I clicked on the fighting cephalopod. I've got mugs. I see. Yep. Shirts. Yep. Mouse pad. You know, so. And if anyone has items that they know Spreadshirt carries that they want a specific logo on, just let me know. I'd be happy to put it on whatever. This is just sort of a, you know, initial, you know, assortment of items that I kind of put together. But if anybody wants to say specifically, I want a mouse pad with the Lovecraft Dead But Dreaming on it, I can do that. That's easy to do. Is that just a few clicks kind yeah. of thing? Mm-hmm. I would like a lecture series groupie mug. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm not kidding. <laughs> yeah, I can totally do that. Cool. <laughs> I want to see really, it's totally uh, narcissistic. That's awful. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see a, a T-shirt for the uh, for the, our standard shield. I want to see mm. buttons and tote bags. That's the only thing that comes up for that. Oh, okay. I didn't realize I didn't have a shirt with that. No, no shirt. Okay. Oh, for the for the cephalopod. No, for our standard shield. Not the one. Yeah, not, without the text yeah, at the top. The, I am enrolled at the. Just yep. the shield. Gotcha. So, yeah, that stuff's totally doable. Awesome. I'll be able to have that stuff added in. So, yeah, if anybody has other ideas, feel free to email me or post on the forum or something, and uh, I can get that stuff put together. It's an easy shop to work with, and their prices are a whole lot better. Awesome. Then in our Cryptocurium Spotlight, there is a new item that's a, another one of the limited editions to, I believe, 25 yeah. available. 25. Yeah. And this is 
an Elder Thing magnet that's all fully painted. He's done Elder Things before that were all just kind of one solid uh, color scheme. They'll look like they were carved out of wood or stone. This is fully painted up with the details. And it's a magnet, which I've grown very fond of with my strip of various cryptocurium magnets going across my shelf. Yeah, it's this thing is beautiful. I'm looking at it now, and it's mm-hmm. it's really badass. I really want to get one. And it is really affordable. It's 10 bucks plus shipping. Yep. I mean, Yeah, jump on there. It's... A very cool little item. The web, the website. I'm hoping is not. You know, I'm hoping the website's up to date because it's. It doesn't say that it's sold out, but this thing is going to get changed to sold out pretty fast. Yeah, yeah. He he's good about going in there and updating it once they uh, sell out. So pop on over there and take a look. <laughs> Settle down now, class. It's time for your next lesson. What this is supposed to be for our topic is the idea of we each choose a creature of some sort, and individually we can just kind of uh, brainstorm ideas on interesting or novel ways to use that creature, and then... We can also come up with ways that they can actually be used together, either actually combining them into, say, one creature with elements of both, or having multiple creatures in one scenario and how they might interact. So, it's just sort of a fun brainstorming session. Yeah, I had fun with this one. This is a wild and weird way to go. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, Chad, which creature did you wind up picking? Yeah, so, uh, and it's one of my favorites. Um, I was looking for something that might play well with others or, you know, wouldn't be insanely overpowered. Um, The crawling ones, which are not used very often, they are something born out of Lovecraft's, one of Lovecraft's Kingsport stories, The Festival, which is a very, very weird story. And it's barely, the description is, you kind of have to stretch it to even make a monster out of it. The quote, if I remember right, let's see if I can pull it up here. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's actually in the 7th edition rule book. But yeah, okay, okay. This is that, the, the more known quote, I think, is wisely did Ibn Shakabau say that happy the town at night whose wizards are all ashes for it is of old rumor that the soul of the devil bought hastes not from his charnel clay, but fats and instructs the very worm that gnaws till out of corruption, horrid life springs. Um, and then it goes on, but basically these are little worms and vermin that eat a person and sort of become them by eating them. They, uh, also absorb the knowledge, the memories of that person. So it's like the person dies, and, but becomes this massive wriggling worms. And in a couple of cases in Call of Cthulhu canon, they are like a monster, like maybe a sorcerer that has made a deal, a pact, where they become immortal by getting devoured. And in the festival, there's this a thing at the end that is basically a wriggling mass of worms that's wearing a wax mask to 
you know, appear human. Mm-hmm. So that's what I picked. Um, they're in a couple of, uh, they pop up in a couple of scenarios. They're in the Kingsport book because of that connection. There's um, the Keeper's screen that was made in 2000 has something called A Restoration of Evil. And that, uh, which I think is Brian Salmon's. Um, that hmm. one has one. And there's a little bit in Shadows of Yogg-Sothoth. Uh, that's the monster that I picked. And Scott, yeah. Scott Glancy uh, wrote a scenario that I think has yet to be published, but the, he play tested uh, at Gen Con one year. It was recorded by the role playing public radio guys. Spoilers! Spoilers for the plot train! Yeah, it's you built her house. That scenario. That uh, uh, hopefully this. Is, you know, I don't want to. No, other than other than saying what the monster is, I don't want to give anything else away. But so spoilers. Sorry about that. So that was that's kind of cool. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're in there. Yeah, the uh, the podcast recording the 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 that I talked about. I mean, that is a if if anyone chooses to listen to that, it's available in the uh, role play public radio uh, archives of uh, of recordings it's two parts each part is five plus hours i mean these guys uh over a two uh evening period uh recorded like over 11 hours of game and in order to complete this uh, uh scenario play test this scenario at gen con and uh it was really really good and there is a scene where one of the characters kind of tries to engage uh, before they still even know what it is yet, they try to engage one of these uh, guys in uh, physical combat. And uh, the way Scott Glancy is the uh, the keeper of that scenario, and the way he uh, adjudicated and, and 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 described what was going on, it was very satisfying. It was a uh, it was a lot of a lot of fun to listen to. Yeah, cool. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, little thing. And once they become this massive worms, they also have a kind of vampiric thing where they tag someone and get a psychic connection. And then they can then like switch bodies by devouring that person. Mm. And, And so in the game, one of the things that you can do is have this thing like visiting you at night. Um, cause I think they have to make several connections. Actually, let me pull up the seventh edition here and I don't see anything about that. Oh, you know what that is? It's either in that's that's keeper screen scenario or in shadows of Yogg-Sothoth where they kind of flesh out. So, so to speak, how, how the transfer happens and frankly it could happen in a okay. way that you want it to happen but sure that's, that's a yeah that's a great element to add to that you know to have associated with that creature and is that creature directly associated with one particular great old one or or something like that uh or because yeah. in the scenarios that i'm aware of it does a certain name repeats but i don't know if that's by design or or you know 
by whim, you know, yeah, hey, let's yeah. just keep I think that. that's just whoever made the scenario decided to associate it. Well, if you're talking about the green flame, it's yes. Zulche. Zulche. The 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 festival involves the green flame. That's the I think the first ah. appearance of Zulche. I don't even okay. think it's named in the in the story. No, I think it's just the green flame or something. Yeah, and I'm afraid I, I don't. I would have to research who coined it, but yeah, so that's why there's a connection. And you can, you can, you know, divorce the two, obviously, and use whatever you want. But it it does seem to be uh, in the Kingsport book for sure. It is a cultist of Sulcha that comes back to Kingsport and is sort of lurking around in his old home, in his old ancestral home. I kind of like how they, in a way, appear like vampires, or they take that, take on that, you know, ancient person in a castle, that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, uh, but it's a retelling of that myth. Yeah. Kind of doing some of the stuff they might have done in life. Mm -hmm. Their personality is essentially the same. They're just, their physical nature has been completely transformed. Right. And you have to imagine that there's some serious corruption that happens <laughs> the personality like you said is the same but the it it must it's yeah. got to be twisted given <laughs> the yeah. new form sanity is not going to really be an issue with these guys mm -hmm. you're not gonna find one that's actually like i really wouldn't expect to find one that is likely to be an ally no i mean although that would be an interesting challenge but they 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 yeah. tend to be you know, evil sorcerers have made some kind of pact. So uh -huh. in the same way, witches uh, tend not to be allies, but you could, right? I mean, you know, it could just simply be a, you know, we share the same goal in this instance. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I won't destroy you if you uh, go along with this plan. Right. I like the evidence trail they could leave behind. I imagine, you know, this guy coming into an, uh, an apothecary once a week. And strangely enough, every time he leaves, there are a few worms left behind, you know. <laughs> and only ever communicates by passing over notes. Right, sure. You know, and ha would have basically clothing on that covers every square inch of body mass mm -hmm. that, you know, gloves and in a mask of some sort. Or a veil would work. Yep. That might even work better because in a mask you would see through the eye holes and see that there's no eyes there. Right. Yeah, or like a female, it could be sort of a Victorian morning dress, which is completely covered mm -hmm. in black. That would be pretty creepy. <laughs> yeah, and just passes over a note and, mm -hmm. and money or, or gold coins, you know, that old style of indicating somebody's from out of there. Right, like the time frame like the uh terrible old man paying paying yeah. for things in doubloons <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. so something like that just passing over notes and never actually communicating in any sort of verbal way yeah i like that i mean they can talk but that would be a great detail to add is just imagine that they can't that for some reason their voice would be too yeah. too warmish well, in, in 7e it says that they can't oh really okay yeah yeah, and this crawling ones cannot speak, but can write messages. Oh, I remember the guy with the mask in the festival also only had like a board that he wrote stuff. That's on. where they get that from. Yeah, yep. 
But yeah, I, I'm glad you chose these because this is actually a really fun idea for an antagonist. You know, and physically they're, you know, like not very physically strong because they don't have a skeletal system to really mm -hmm. reinforce their bodies. They're literally just a psychically held together mass of worms. Yeah. yeah. For alternate ways that we could use one of these guys. In the rules, it kind of talks about that, I guess that humanoid form is pretty much thought to be a constant. But what of the idea where the consciousness is simply part of all of these individual worms, and so it can just break apart at will and scatter and then reform somewhere else, like on the other side of a door. And a lot of the, exactly. Sure. A lot of these things are, are burrowing type of, uh, of, uh, creatures. I mean, this would be, uh, one of those interesting, it would be interesting to use this in a, uh, locked room scenario where maybe there's an earthen floor, you know, yeah. uh, you know, you're in a sub basement or something you're and, uh, and something occurs how did the guy die in the locked room? You know, where's the murderer? Oh, you know, yeah. That would be great for you, investigation. You had, yeah, you had to bust in, and then all, there's an earthen floor and stuff, whatever. There's a dead guy. How did all this happen? Where did they go? You know, maybe yeah. there's a pile and of clothes. the dirt is kind of loose yeah. in this corner. It's not, it's not a true tunnel, you know? It's not a true tunnel. And, and the earth, the loose, the, 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 uh, the loose earth uh, was covered. Someone had covered it with a robe. You know, there was just a robe laying on top. I mean, so because mm -hmm. I like that idea, also Dan of of um, they're they're more than just a whole. They're the sum of all their parts, and they can just you know reassemble and disassemble at will, and then scurry away. And what more natural way yeah. for them than to maybe burrow away? You know, and possibly even gather more worms. To replace missing parts after being damaged. Oh, yeah. So, essentially, hit point regeneration. And what about um, become a more massive creature? If uh, four, yeah. five, or six of the individual humanoid size collections of these creatures decide to, you know, and I'll form the head, and they Voltron themselves and become, you know... A uh, twenty-five foot tall, you know, you know, monstrosity, you know. Yeah, I like that. Could also have the, uh, limit limit the kind of carrion to corpse, you know, uh, things that are used to eating corpses, so that uh, in order to gain, you know, size or uh, stature, that it would have to go to some kind of, you know, either a morgue or a. Um, well, I guess in morgue you'd have preservation. So I guess the best thing would be mm. old grave sites, mm -hmm. um, because because you know they are actually otherworldly entities, the individual carrion. So maybe to recruit those kinds of carrion, you have to have to go to ones that are indigenously would eat corpses. You know this um, this actually kind of calls to mind uh, another carrion eater uh, in the mythos and and and. Would there be a an alliance or some kind of synergistic something between them and, and ghouls? Yeah, sure. They do, they yeah. both have the necrophagy. Yeah, do yeah. do yeah. ghouls run the risk 
of, uh, you know, maybe eating the wrong corpse as it's being consumed by crawling ones. And then, mm. then they fall victim and become eaten by the crawling ones. Or do they, do they consume the crawling ones or do they have an alliance or some sort? Mm. Yeah. I like the idea of it almost being a competition sort of thing where they're in, uh, you know, they're, they're antagonistic towards one another if there's an encounter, which I would think would be fairly rare. You know, there's nothing that indicates that crawling ones are common. No. Mm-hmm. Unless you wanted to, you know, actually make that a thing in your game where, you know, this is something that's just happening and how do we deal with that? But uh, I like the idea of the, the corpse hitting dog people getting worms. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, to actually be inhabited by them mm-hmm. and maybe it creates a different kind of crawling one when the flesh is itself st- already undead <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah it, there could be all sorts of fun possibilities there you know and another idea of the creation of this sort of thing to begin with could be more of a if you wanted to go more of the um 50s 60s uh sci-fi movie route you could have some sort of chemical spill on a grant on the ground mm, right and these you know worms have been changed in some mm-hmm. way that there's now kind of a collective consciousness yep. which would essentially let you use the creature the same way it may not have magic capabilities and it wouldn't be connected to an ancient person. It wouldn't be connected to actually to any uh, previous person. Mm-hmm. But that would be a Definitely. fun way. Um, you could do toxic spill. You could also do, uh, for 50s tropes, you could do radiation. I'm thinking maybe yeah. there's some kind of shortcut in uh, you know the science. And it ends up being radiation of Zulcha itself. So yeah. Zulcha you know, creates Ooh, instead yeah. of having your skin slough off as it does with radiation poisoning you you become a you sort of die and and dissipate and everybody mourns and then you come back <laughs> right as, mm-hmm. as a massive worms and so often you know we associate a, a, a mutation of of enlargement with that you know with radiation that kind of thing it it's just it seems you know to go hand in hand you could have it would take maybe fewer of the uh, of the earthworms and maggots and whatnot to because they've they've grown to you know thousands of times their size so now they're the size of someone's arm you know mm-hmm. wriggling about yeah. and uh, and so instead of it taking you know hundreds of thousands to do a a person's arm it's you know three of them end to end or something you know so yeah or just twisted around each other like muscle mm-hmm. fiber mm-hmm. right oh. <laughs> and there's actually a movie from i believe the 70s that has a similar kind of idea yeah it's from 76 i remember seeing this as a little kid and it freaked me out but yeah i'm not saying it's a good movie it's most assuredly not (laughs) it's a movie but yep it's a movie and it involves worms a squirm then called oh Squirm. i love that movie oh i know I, <laughs> I totally love that movie yeah yeah Ver, was a- vermin that's a whole <laughs> genre of movie i love is the vermin movie you know like yeah <laughs> ants or whatever 
gets out of control. The one that really got to me was, I think it was just called Bug. Oh, yeah? Where these super intelligent roach-type creatures that can cause fires. Nice. It was, yeah, that really screwed with me as a kid. But with Squirm, the idea is that somebody discovered that electricity causes worms to, like, go kind of nuts and become highly carnivorous. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, this happens in this town, and people are being eaten by big masses of worms. And there's a guy that winds up with, you know, this these worms hanging out yeah. of holes in his yeah. face. Oh my God. And this is another method of possibly having a crawling one yep. created of that. They just devour a living person and take over the, the form. And that would give them a skeletal structure inside. Oh, I think that's what they do. I mean, that is what they do, right? That they, they devour a living person and become that person. That's how I think it works. Well, Going by just the book, it, you know, there, I don't get the impression that there actually is a corpse inside. It's, uh, you know, the collective mass of wriggling creatures possesses the mind of a dead sorcerer, long since devoured by the maggoty horde. I don't think there's any actual original body tissue left. Oh, I see. So it's kind of whichever way you want to do it. If you want to have bones in there, go for it. I would actually increase the strength of the creature a little bit for that. If it had a structure. Yeah, because if it doesn't have bones, then it's not going to be able to be quite as strong. But, you know, it would still be perfectly possible to pick up a gun if they know how to use it. And, uh, but I, I just, these are very, very fun. Yeah, it's one of my favorites, for sure. And the next one up that I picked was... I decided to go with something a little bit different and wasn't actually a mythos-specific type of creature, but I liked the potential um, combinations with chads, was that I chose mummies. Yep. And so we, again, have a animated corpse, only this one is actually using its original tissues, and you could do the, you know, original slow moving and, you know, plotting sort of thing. Or you can use the more modern take of the, like the 99 money Mummy movie that, you know, they're capable of moving at a pretty brisk pace. Mm -hmm. But I, uh, you know, I think mummies are, are a very Lovecraftian style of creature to use. I mean, Lovecraft had... You know, a lot of references to things like ancient Egypt in the stories. Mm, yeah. And so, yeah, I think this definitely is one of the more Lovecraftian universal creature type of things. I think I, I like mummies because, you know, just their natural lore is that, you know, uh, mummies, they don't happen by accident. Uh, you know, you you weren't you weren't scratched, you weren't bitten, you know, you weren't cursed, you know, because you you crossed the path of a gypsy or something. I mean, people go through extreme great lengths to to ritualize and and create 
a mummy and I and they're I feel manufactured. Like they're manufactured and I and I like that so that you know you could play upon that and say look due to the to the ritual nature that that was observed for this creation you can infuse into every individual mummy unique abilities and powers you know if necessary um mm-hmm. and 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 give them certain strengths uh and be and just you know say it's it's rooted to this ritual that they that that was observed yeah definitely there's all kinds of different takes on them one of the things i i thought about is that the bulk of mummies were actually not pharaohs most of them were Mm -hmm. slaves right i mean that's that was the whole point is you take your entire Mm -hmm. uh, entourage with you and so so many mummies could be actually working class or slave or or Mm -hmm. artisans you know and have a complete other kind of backstory different than the classic you know king of the world type um, one which which uh, most of those were robbed those tombs were robbed you know long before the 20s yeah i like that this is one you could actually encounter a mummy that isn't just out to take everything over and destroy and kill it could be somebody that was woken up and they're confused and they're terrified and mm-hmm. yeah you could actually make a very sympathetic mummy character yeah sure and they have specific desires that are more on a human level than on a like megalomaniacal level yeah the the classic story is because it it found a woman that had a very strong resemblance to somebody that he loved mm-hmm. and uh so it's actually you know a very human motivation for a lot of the behaviors. Right. You know, yeah. They played that up much stronger in the more recent modern movies. Yeah. Well, or the old, or going way back, the the original ones. There, there was a mummy, I forget if it's Lon Chaney or somebody played a mummy in which he really was just human. Like, he just looked like a normal human and he was chasing a lost love. In the same way, I think it's one of the first mummy movies before they really came up with the wrapped bandaged look. I know Boris Karloff, I think, was one that uh, uh, I'm pretty sure it's Boris Karloff. And he, he he just looks like an old man, really. And they, they call him a mummy. I'm like, yeah, it doesn't look like it because there's no wrappings or anything. He's wearing a fez. Yeah, okay. mm-hmm. that's that's the one. Yeah. And in part of it, he had the wrappings and all that. But yeah, he essentially became very human looking and he was talking and he was basically just a, a person. Yeah. That's a, it's, that's a take you don't see anymore. Cause the trope is so entrenched that they're mm-hmm. sort of animated corpses. Well, even in the 99 version, he was reforming himself by essentially stealing flesh off of living people mm-hmm. and started off just being the, you know, the rotted corpse looking thing that then, you know, started getting more and more complete as he went and just kind of became this uh, living sorcerer type guy. Right. I-, I enjoy those movies. I think they're good. Me too. That that game, that movie essentially was the 
the feature film of our Call of Cthulhu game when I was in Texas. <laughs> the characters were almost dead on for our investigator group, and we all saw the movie together, and it was just uncanny. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, it was bizarre and hilarious and awesome. So, yeah, those movies may not be, uh, you know, the best thing ever, but I have a very uh, sentimental spot for those because of that uh, tie in. There's also all kinds of non-Egyptian mummy types. I think I did oh, cover yeah. mummies before. I almost feel like we've talked about it on the show, talking about the Peruvian mummies. and the. I think they came up as a point of interest in a topic, but... We didn't cover it specifically. I don't think we covered mummies as a uh, okay, like as a bestiary. Did we talk about mellified man, the, the honey honey mummies? Does that ring a no. bell? No. Well, the, there's it's just it comes from a an account in China. I forget what century where they mention er, an Arabic kind of mummy where old men will actually give over their lives to become a kind of medicine. So what they do is they start to eat honey and they eat honey so much that they begin to basically pee and excrete only honey. Like that's when you can tell they're ready and then they are killed and preserved in a coffin full of honey and that flesh is considered uh, a kind of medicine, but sometimes, huh. sometimes they sneak out. So M G. Yeah. <laughs> so you've got, you know, this dripping with honey <laughs> kind of, um, yeah. monstrosity. You know, I mean, it, it could be an interesting detail to throw in, you know, the smell, it is always followed by the smell of honey. Uh, yeah. And the, you know, any footsteps, anything it touches would obviously have this residue of sweet, sticky honey. Yep. No. Nice. Uh, I could see insects being just oh, yeah. a swarm. Totally. Cut mm. right. Bees, uh, dead bees found at the scene of a crime and, you know, little mm-hmm. spots of sticky. <laughs> yep. Oh, honey is one of those weird substances that doesn't ever seem to spoil. Right. Well, it produces. I remember. Yeah, go ahead. That there was a report of that a jar of honey was found like in an Egyptian tomb that was actually still edible mm. after like 2000 years. Oh, cool. It was it, it, honey doesn't spoil. Well, it, produces, it crystallizes, but you can remelt it. Right. And even when it's liquid, it produces its own hydrogen peroxide layer. That's what the foaming is on top of honey. Okay. Is, and it's basically, you know, a way to keep the hive uh, sterile. It's bees are obsessive about sterility because of the, 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 you know, the birthing process. Okay. Huh. Wow. That's cool. I did not know that. Yeah. I've never heard of that at all. I found a note for the show notes there. Oh, you did? <laughs> about... Hydrogen yeah, peroxide? the honey mummy thing. Oh. There's a Wikipedia article. Ah, okay. So, well, that's good because I'm not, I'm not sure entirely sure I have the facts straight. Yeah, so 16th century Chinese pharmacologist Li Shizhen, Shizhen, 
had this secondhand account. I mean, it sounds like to me, uh, what do you call it? Xenophobia of China toward the Arab world. Yeah. But I think it lasted. I think it's not just from there. I think it, um, I, if I remember it, it lasted into antiquity, the idea of mellified man as, as uh, medicine. Hmm. Well, and the idea of mummies as medicine, I feel, I don't Oh yeah. Right. That, uh, yeah, that, uh, there was the thing of like ground mummy powder could be used for things. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot all about that. One of the series of books that I've read, uh, is the monster series by David Wellington. Uh, so it's a trilogy monster Island monster nation, and then monster planet. And, um, the, the book series is, is actually, at the surface, it's uh, uh, it's his take on zombies, uh, but in the second book and and really into the third book, um, he also starts exploring uh, and starts introducing um, other creatures that that we have uh, knowledge of. Like he has uh, a type of werewolf in there that is, again, for him, it's a it's a it's a type of zombie, and then. He talks about mummies specifically in in his books that uh, their mummies or they are zombies that had been um, preserved and are of such an age that they've gone beyond the need for their um, physical driven hunger, uh, you know, to, to bite people and consume flesh and whatnot. Uh, and then they're more of like these, um, psychic, you know, creatures. And it, it's a great series of books. If anyone has not read David Wellington's, uh, monster series and, and he's, he, he's one of those writers that, uh, got his start by doing, um, he, he was blogging his books and basically giving them away chapter by chapter uh, for free. And that's how I discovered, uh, David is I was reading his, his monster books as they were coming out live on his blog. Right. So every week I'd get a new chapter. Um, and he eventually got recognized, picked up and has started producing, you know, books in, in a more traditional fashion. Uh, and they even reissued the uh, monster series in print, uh, with some slight changes so that fans who read the, uh, blog, other than other than just being fans enough to buy the book would actually have a, a slightly new uh, reading experience in the paperback versus what they read in the blog. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's really, really cool. His, uh, his one, his one piece that I, I always took away from is uh, in his books. If a, if a person dies in, in, and I think it's very much like in the, uh, the walking dead world where we're all infected. So it doesn't, you don't have to be bitten or scratched by a zombie to become a zombie. You just simply have to die. But if the method of your death, your brain was still being infused with oxygen of some sort. So there were different ways that this one guy died in a hyperbolic chamber or something, right? Um, your brain became, uh, or basically your zombie brain gained superpowers. So, you might uh, manifest uh, full body hair and claws and become a zombie werewolf, or you might manifest any other type of like 
literal superpower. So you were having these superpowered zombies and everything. It was, it's a very, it's a very cool, uh, unique take on the zombie trope. But it, I, I wanted to include that in this, this segment because of the uh, unique way that he also treated the mummies. So mm. it was very cool. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Very neat. I like the idea of, of the, the combination of a mummy and zombie are related, except for the idea of a mummy is essentially just still conscious of its environment and self. There's sort of a hierarchy there of, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So zombies are essentially animal. Mm-hmm. At least, I mean, actually, you know, there's many takes where they're not, but um, the modern movie zombie that we think of is basically just an animal with no, you know, it's just hunger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pure instinct driven. But now, John, you picked something that turns that on its head a bit as far as what we know about zombies. Yeah, and I think it's funny because uh, I wasn't actually trying to 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 complete the circle, but we all have the undead in uh, as part of our choices. I went with the uh, servants of Glacky. So one of the things that I found really interesting uh, as I was as I was reading up on the the servants is that um, at first I was thinking that they were pretty much typically a, a zombie, um, you know, the the mindless mass shambling starving you know that's that's what i was assuming were the uh the servants of glacky and uh my research has has taught me they're anything but uh so as the name suggests these uh these undead creatures are uh, created by the uh, great old one glacky and so they are they are his servants and uh, if you'll remember they've got uh you know there's a there's a tome out there um the i forget what the name of it is but it's you know the the folios you know there's there's all these different versions but they're the um the 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 book of glacky i guess it might help revelations of glacky the revelations i knew there was that that's the word the revelations of glacky and that book is actually written by these servants it's written by the the these undead creatures uh, that are created after being impaled by glacky spines and um it's unclear to me but i i believe the the actual servants themselves have um portions of those spines still embedded in their body the the servants of glacky are very much human uh, they have human intelligence they're 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 stiff looking and and move stiffly and have a corpse like appearance. So uh, they'll you know if you get a good look at their faces, they're gonna look you know glassy eyed, you know non focused eye movement, and you know they're just gonna have that stiff look to them. Um, but they're you know they they'll get together and have a have a writing circle and you know start fleshing out the revelations of glacky you know notes these creatures are also they gain like the memories and they become conduits really of of uh glacky um so that's why they're they're you know chronicling this uh his his um his word you know and trying to put his uh, book out there 
Which is interesting of the idea that they still remain retain all of their living memories and you know, you could even say their personality if you wanted to mm-hmm. in a scenario. And um but that over time they're just rotting away and decaying and in the clip from uh the um Ramsey Campbell story, The Inhabitant of the Lake, it mentions, you know, the hand of a corpse bloodless and skeletal and with impossibly long cracked nails. And I kind of like the idea of maybe the spine sort of spreading throughout the body, which would, you know, explain the stiffness as well as rigor mortis Mm -hmm. and that the nails were not necessarily actual fingernails, but like pieces of the spine that have spread. Mm hmm. Because the picture they have, and actually most of the pictures I've ever seen of them, have, like, lots of spines in them. You know, yeah. they don't just have one impaled through unless they're fresh. Yeah, I like to think of it as a as a crystal that's, you know, branching and growing and spreading. Yeah. Yeah, it's a whole other circulatory system, right, that takes over. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's interesting that you mentioned the rotting. Um so the the servants of Glacky, if you're if you're old enough, if the if the corpse has been around long enough. So here in the notes it says uh, six decades. Uh, so if you if you're if you've been a servant for sixty years, in that time period, the composition and this must be directly due to the spines that have sped spread throughout your uh, system. Uh, your your flesh becomes. Uh, extremely sensitive to sunlight mm-hmm. and so you get this green decay um, that's just you know it's just kind of right there under the surface but then as soon as direct sunlight strikes these uh, creatures <clears throat> they begin to just melt away and 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 foam into a into this green uh, goo and uh, it takes only a matter of moments to uh, destroy a servant of Glacky with uh, direct sunlight, but again, they they need to have, they need to have been in the system long enough for for the uh, for the decay to really take hold. Yeah, which is a nice idea of that the oldest and most powerful ones you would think have this weakness that the younger ones don't. Exactly, and it actually says in the main book. You know, that they're subject to the green decay if exposed to intense light, such as daylight. If you have a strong enough artificial light, that could also do it. Mm. Yeah, get a get a nice brand new flashlight. Yep. You could have a modern good, scenario good fresh with batteries. Yeah. They make LED lights now that are just, you know, like a couple of thousand lumens and you could actually, you know, destroy a number of the older ones, but then still have to deal with any younger ones that are about. And those would be yeah. the faster ones too. Yeah. It's funny. You mentioned that my, my brother is a uh, flashlight junkie. He loves collecting unique flashlights. And he's got one, I think it's the uh, brand makers called bone collector or something like that. And uh, it produces a square light image. Uh, so you can you can do grid searches, you know. So you're looking in a in a square grid. Oh, and uh, and the lumens this thing produces. I, I don't know what the 
the actual numbers are. I've seen it in action. It literally looks like there's a patch of daylight. It, it is so bright. It wow. looks like it's a patch of daylight and it's producing this perfect square so that if you were, you know, walking the woods looking for a lost kid, you know, you, you could just sweep it left and right up and then, you know, move up one square, sweep it back up, sweep back. I mean, you're getting this, this perfect grid search going. Wow. It's, it's amazing. But uh, yeah, that'd be a very potent weapon if you were to uh, uh, move this into a modern. One of the and I, I looked around. I actually think it is in the uh, the seventh edition core uh, rule book, the keeper book. Um, but I think there's a minor scenario in here that uh, may use the uh, servants of Galaki. And one of the things I noticed about that is um, they even had a uh, you could have human you know, non-undead people who are like the um, priests and whatnot, you know, the servitors and stuff. And maybe they're trying to uh, gain favor to, to, to be skewered upon, you know, please skewer me. I want to be one of you. you know, and maybe they have to, uh, you know, bring a hundred guys to the party before they get skewered or something like that. You know I mean? You know, gotta earn those merit badges, but uh, <laughs> So it's a pyramid scheme. <laughs> it is. It's a it's a pyramid scheme. But uh, I'm really kind of I'm kind of digging the uh, the servants of Glacia. I like the fact that they're undead, but they're they still. I mean, if you were to look at their game stats, they look like they basically have human stats. You know, uh, their their dexterity, you know, is kind of kind of poor to reflect the fact that they're so stiff and everything. They're hardy, you know. Their constitution is higher, uh, but everything else—it looks like it's a regular guy, you know, regular human. So yeah, it's neat. Strength is average, yeah. Yeah, you know, their, their intelligence does not diminish, and I guess that's great because they they need to be around to to just keep writing those chapters, you know, in the in the book. Yeah, I love that idea of that glacky understands the idea of influencing people through things like literature and and that's just very yeah. you know novel for a mythos creature to acknowledge novel. that kind I of see thing what you did there <laughs> <laughs> but what about uh, the idea of other types of media communication i mean, would we have servants with uh, twitter accounts and Stolen <laughs> cell phones. Yeah, sure. That's cool. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that part of be... their mission is to broadcast, right? It's yeah. To get the word out. Yeah. Uh huh. Which would be a super easy thing to do in a modern world. You know, there's like a YouTube channel for these guys, <laughs> and it's just there's some potentially very weird stuff you could do with it. <laughs> it would well, also. There, there's speeches like they're supposed to be somewhat monosyllabic, right? So a YouTube channel would be kind of hilarious. <laughs> you know, yeah. like trying to convert the masses using only <laughs> short, small words. Please well, write in. <laughs> and I could see how uh, how Glacky and the servants of Glacky would um, they would look up to other uh published authors and and almost want to 
you know, strive to draw them into their, into their group. You know, what would the world be like if Stephen King was, uh, converted into a servant of Glacky, right? Oh yeah. I mean, they get to, they get to, you know, they're trying to get all the, that readership, you know, take advantage of it as, as best they can before, you know, he starts to stammer and, and, uh, get all stiffified and starts avoiding, you know, daytime activities, that kind of thing, you know? Yep. Yeah. I like that. There's a part in Goatswood that talks about these. That's a great source book for things. Glacky cause it's a Ramsey Campbell book, uh, based source book. But, um, I was always wondering this, there's no, well, there's a little bit of support for this. So in that they have to, they place boxes that amplify the dreams of Glacky. So it makes me think, and this is total invention, but what if the servants of Glacky were able to, or accidentally got out of range of Glacky's kind of broadcast ability and maybe became free of Glacky or at least you know, mm. less, less tied to him. And then you'd have like a whole section of a little club that maybe decides they don't really want to serve him anymore. Sort of like freed slaves. What would they do? You know, would they end up um, continuing their love of literature? Would they, you know, would yeah. they end up at coffee shops in Paris or would they, or would they start, you know, begging the medical field for some sort of cure for the mm. green decay? Yeah, sure. Or trying Please to help help me. Up. I'm gonna, I'm dying. I'm dying. Yeah, or they send one to medical school and they try to figure out how to do the experiments themselves. <laughs> yeah, a fresh one that uh, yeah, <laughs> goes orphaned. through. Let me uh, reference you to my colleague, Dr. West, here. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. That's uh, a great idea that since they are so directly controlled, if they get, uh, I guess, a certain distance away, they could be independent again. Mm-hmm. You could have some feel conflicted. I mean, it must be, you know, to have that he- that voice, strong voice in your head and dreams visiting you and that love of Glacky to be without it must be also hard. But perhaps, you know, they have enough consciousness left to realize that Glacky, maybe they become agents against Glacky, but they can't really mm-hmm. do it themselves because they suck at talking. And, you know, <laughs> so, you know, but they can funny. be an anonymous agent of mm, you know sending right. letters and stuff to investigators that would be kind of cool yeah mm-hmm. you know oh my god yeah like as if they they're a, a patron mm-hmm. looking for you know people to take up their cause uh, it's funny because you know talking about them in this kind of light makes me think of <laughs> makes me think of them as the borg from star trek yeah and yeah. and you know they are part of a collective the hive mind of Glacky and, and, and we've had, um, Star Trek stories where, you know, uh, a, a Borg drone has been separated from the hive mind. And it's interesting. I would love to see that type of story played out in the, in Call Cthulhu as well. I think mm. that's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, uh, just a very neat idea in general. Then we've got ideas of what can we do with these, three different creature types interacting among one another mm-hmm. because now this, comes the mix. Yeah. And I think the most versatile one is probably the crawling one because 
the body style, I mean, that's you could literally just take a the worms from a crawling one and intermingle that with the physical form of a mummy or a servant. Yeah. The two could be actually working together in one form. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's, I think this is, so I think the crawling ones, I thought I was thinking about this during the, uh, during our mummy discussion. So mummy creation is extremely ritualistic. There's the, the removal of organs Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, the, per- the preparation of the, of the corpse and those organs are stored in jars and stuff. I mean, they're preserved as well. They're not just discarded. Yeah. So, you know, if crawling one creatures, you know, worms and maggots got into those, uh, jars and consumed and, uh, you know, assuming that, you know, a person's soul can be, uh, contained in, in those parts as well. Now you got a crawling one that could maybe, you know, you could have some that are riding inside the mummy and maybe, you know, kind of controlling stuff. But then you could still have the other ones that are that are outside and still in the jars or whatever of of the uh, the body organs and parts. And it almost becomes a, a, a phylactery of a sort, you know, so that as long as the crawling ones have the organs. It doesn't matter what you do to the, to the mummy body. It can't be destroyed. They'll, I mean, no matter what you do, there's, there's always going to be a, uh, a crawling one that can come back and reform that intelligence, whatever, whatever yeah. driving intelligence for that mummy is, you know, it just invades new worms to reform. Yeah. A body. Mm. Although yeah. the mummy body would eventually be, you know, kind of worn away from damage, but you or, could, you know, maybe the crawling ones because of this, you know, phylactery or horcrux or whatever you want to call it. Maybe they, they start to reform the body. Even after it's been destroyed, they have that yeah. memory of it and they start refo- rebuilding it. Yeah. Yeah. I like yeah, it. That would be kind of cool. That's great. I said, you know, or you could have a crawling one that simply decided it wanted to have a more resilient structure and just invades a normal mummy that isn't, you know, a monster mummy. It's just a dead person, but the preservatives and stuff make it a very strong, resilient frame Mm -hmm. that it could then form around and... You know, it could modify the joints to where it can move again and all that. And it would actually just be a kind of a extra durable, strong version. Simulacrum. Oh, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) I I was thinking about another alternative mummy I didn't mention, which is the bog bodies of northern Europe. Oh, yeah. Well, it's not just northern Europe. Anywhere there's a bog and people die, uh, this the acidic qualities um, along with all kinds of other, you know, strange properties have this amazing preservation effect. And that has been great for archaeology or for, for anthropology because you have a, you know, a preserved, there's one, at least one that has an incredibly preserved face. I think I just found that. Yeah. The something man, they're all called the something man. But anyway, like the thing that's weird about this process is they do not have bones. So 
for whatever reason, the, the bones disappear, but you have essentially the skin and internal organs. Hmm. So I was thinking if, if this bog was magic somehow, because this isn't a ritual mummy, this is a sort of incidental mummy, but maybe yeah. the bog itself is enchanted. You could have these, the crawling ones inhabit one of these essentially just a skin mummy um, because yeah. they'd sort of have to work together. Um, no mask needed. Yeah, exactly. It actually looks like a person. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could, you'd have to use makeup because I think that they, the skin is essentially tanned in this process. Yeah. So they're always. Yeah, um, the picture of the one I found is he's kind of a charcoal black and kind of shiny. Yeah, I mean, if you look at, um, I guess I'll put it under mummy here. This bog body, it's like a deflated human, you know, it's just mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sitting there without any structure at all. So, you know, the crawling ones are able through psychic power to be able to, they have some kind of structure. I mean, we can say maybe they're, they're wobblier, but you know, if it, if a crawling ones inhabited, inflated this guy again. Yeah. That would be a pretty fascinating way of doing that. I like that a lot. So yeah, it would give them, give them an appearance and then they just sit down and put on some makeup on the face and mm-hmm. maybe a pair of glass eyes. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> right. And just have a sign that says I'm mute. <laughs> right. <laughs> I believe the voice box would be pretty well destroyed. Yeah. Or perhaps it's not, it's, but it's, tanned made of tanned leather instead of you know supple so it yeah has, it has a voice but it is through this it would just be this harsh croaking horrible thing mm-hmm. right and it would have to have like uh part of the disguise would along with the glass eyes you have to get like some dentures or something to have something that looks like teeth right <laughs> that could just be just a, each individual weird worm. yeah each individual worm or maggot is mooning to be a tooth you know <laughs> I mean, that's a great opportunity for spot hidden roles to, you know, see what's up with this weird old guy. Yeah, absolutely. There's a there's a there's a bog in Egypt that came up in my searching called the Serbonian bog. Have you heard of this thing? It's a you know, it's kind of at the border of of where Syria and Egypt is now, and it is famed for entire army. Is disappearing into it because it's a bog, but sand just due to wind currents covers the surface. So it makes for an easy trap for an army to march into. And by oh. the time, you know, by the time the orders, the time that the, the uh, people f- running the march figure out what's going on, in theory, or I think in lore, entire armies disappear into it. Well, now you have a bog and a, potentially an entire army. Um, yeah armed and armored and ready to go yeah (laughs) so if you did want to go back to a pharaoh who is trying to restore a kingdom that might be a potential uh you know a way to raise an army and if there are crawling ones then absolutely they could work together yeah that is just a very cool story idea i like it how can we uh work the servants of glacky in to be working with the other two types. Well, the servants of Glacky, they still have soft tissue and they are undead. And thus, I think these crawling ones would go, well, they look delicious. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I could see uh, 
uh, you know, different servants of Glacky falling prey to uh, to a crawling one horde and, uh, you know, consuming them. Um, yeah. I do wonder All what that the would be uh, left the, would be the spine part would just be left there. Right. And I, and I wonder if, if, uh, if any of this, you know, spiny tendrils, if they, if they have the opportunity to, uh, infect one or more of the, uh, of the crawling ones, would it, would that send like a, a psychic, um, uh, spine throughout the, the, the horde so that, you know, Maybe the tables turn, and so now you've got mm-hmm. a, a servant of Glacky that can do all that the crawling ones can. You know they've lost the power of communication, um, but they could they could disseminate into you know all the little parts and pieces of of that make up the crawling one form, and uh, and then reform elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah, it's interesting, and and you know the whole uh, green decay. You know, does does is that a cure? Is that the cure for the green decay? You know, yeah. Uh, do do crawling ones? You know, do they suffer from the green decay, or you know, after they consume a ceramic like well, something that can burrow and hide so easily, it's not as much of a concern, right? Right. Mm. That's very so. Cool. That's yeah. I like that. Yeah, that's a things like this could be how uh, other. I mean, because there's no, I'm sure there are no, you know, great old one parties, right? Uh, So how do their lore uh, uh, cross over with each other? Well, maybe the servants cross over with each other, you know. So now, yeah, Glacky's gaining knowledge on Zulcha, and Zulcha's gaining knowledge on Glacky, and now, you know, they're 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 mixing and blending and. It's interesting in the Revelations of Glacky, the uh, the different uh, books that, that the servants are writing and putting together uh, directly from the knowledge of of Glacky. Um, one of the other great old ones uh, that that they talk about is is Yagalnak. Uh, and so, you know, was there some sort of crossover at a previous point between Glacky and Yagalnak so that now? You know, one of the books is pretty much dedicated to uh, to Yugalnak and and his servitude. Um, I could see, I could see uh, a servant of Glacky that's been consumed and is now uh, that servant is a for, is formed by the uh, by the crawling ones starts writing chapters and adding the lore of of Zolcha to the uh, to the to the books, to the Revelations of Glacky books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. That's cool. I mean, using those three, you could build a kind of almost post-apocalyptic world in which these forces are vying. You know, they all are forces of the undead, but you would imagine if, if they're both um, great old ones uh, or maybe whoever is... Yeah, well, great old ones are in competition, so they're not necessarily working together. But um, you're caught in the middle of a w- undead war, in which mm-hmm. any of the above could appear, you know, and and take over towns. And I mean, you could up the the whole world and make it almost like a world. Uh, what is it called? Not World War Cthulhu, but um, the uh, apocalyptic one. Yeah. Like Cthulhu Wars. 
Cthulhu well, Wars. Well, um, yeah. Graham Walmsley and company made that. Yeah, uh, the Cthulhu Apocalypse. Cthulhu Apocalypse, in which the the theme that runs through it is, I mean, you could throw in ghouls. Um, it is starting to be quite a lot of monsters. <laughs> but, you know, you could just have a an undead-themed campaign in which the dead walk and they're all, you know, mythos types like we're talking about. Yeah. yeah, and another way of doing a combination, what if a glacky spine was put through a uh, a mummy oh, yeah. and was able to kind of reanimate it? Oh. So you've got a, the preserved tissue of a mummy that's not going to rot away nearly as badly. And might even be have an immunity to the decay because mm-hmm. of all the preservatives and chemicals and stuff in it. Mm. Yeah, if you imagine that the mummy is still alive in a sort of undead sense when it gets speared, then mm-hmm. the, the the rules still apply of the servant. Yeah. But in a kind of twisted way. Yeah. yeah you've got, you know, more traditional servants of Glacky actually, like, breaking into a museum with just a handful of spines. So they're like coming in with these, you know, spears and uh, just getting into cases of mummies and just spearing them through to Mm -hmm. infect them. And basically, you know, bringing in these different type of servants that could be, you know, uh, thought of as like a general or as special mission type of, you know, specialists. That okay, these are ones that can operate in the daylight, mm-hmm. but they're very slow or they don't have the intelligence. These are purely remote controlled, mm, you know, yeah. something like that. Yeah, I like it. Oh, yeah. So that's another way to to mix the the uh, various types of creatures. Yeah, another campaign seed that I had jotted down here that it's unfinished because I don't know how to bring in the servants of Glacky necessarily, but using that mummy trade, I always thought it would be interesting to do the mummy as medicine as some kind of uh, you know magical thing where pieces of a particular mummy are now all over the world in they've either been partially ingested or or maybe because of some trade accident, you know, some parts are still existing at the bottom of some, you know, uh, body of water or something, and some have uh, are in the court of some king and were never consumed. So you have, then you pull in a crawling one whose job it is to fan out across Europe or across wherever to collect those pieces back into a single body. Mm. These worms are you know, spread out, but still connected through a collective hive mind as they are. Yeah. And working together. I'm not sure about the servants, although they probably could use some help given that once they inhabit, you know, a toe, they're not really effective. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'm just picturing like groups of worms actually carrying parts. Yeah, exactly. Like ants. Yeah. (laughs) Well, or sneaking them onto trains. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> or eating that. I mean, I, I was thinking that they would eat the flesh because that's what they do to to inhabit yeah, a new true. body. But yeah, <laughs> these worm smugglers is uh, <laughs> kind of hilarious. Well, and you know, you can imagine that the uh, 
the rate of speed that a crawling one would be able to travel would be pretty slow. You know, the servants mm-hmm. of Glanky could, you know, move much faster um, and, yeah. and, and disguise themselves. Get a car. Yeah. Much easier and be able to uh, travel and be those, those uh, methods of, of, of movement for the, uh, for the crawling ones method of delivery. Yeah. They could just have a bucket in the trunk full of worms. <laughs> there you go. Mm. All right, guys, we're at the destination and just poured out. <laughs> I guess you- that, that's, that's just weird. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. This was, this was fun. I, I liked this conversation and it might be neat. I think we, we, happenstance fell into the thing that we we all kind of picked something that was sort of undead or at least a, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. you know, undead or, or uh corpse consumer, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I think, you know, and all humanoid based. Yeah, yeah. Humanoid based. I think, you know, next time let's put a little thought into it and actually try and do another themed one of these uh, mixes. The next time we pull this up. Yeah. 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 I, thought this uh, I well. enjoyed this a lot. That was fun. hear from our listeners and we have a lot of different ways you can reach out to us our main contact email address is feedback at mu-podcast.com we also have a twitter account at mu underscore podcast and you could join our irc channel on the feedback page of the website we have a providence rhode island voicemail number at 401-400-0mup that's 401-400-0687 or you can use our speak pipe link located on the website ask a question leave us a liner say who you are and i'm enrolled at the miskatonic university podcast and we'd love to get a hearty go pods for our home team the fighting cephalopods our website is mu-podcast.com and you can find the show notes for this episode at mu-podcast.com forward slash 79. That's the number 79. Our forums are at mu-podcast.com slash campus. Come join the community. Be part of the conversations. And a big thank you to all of our patrons. Thanks, guys. Thanks for joining us for another episode. Class is dismissed. The Call of Cthulhu role-playing game is property of Chaosium, Inc. The written works of H.P. Lovecraft are held in the United States public domain. All other works mentioned in this podcast are the property of their respective owners. Original content of this show is copyright of the Miskatonic University podcast under a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial share-alike license. Trying to look up the name right now. Uh, let's see. I play tested. Dramatic pause. That'll get pulled out later. <laughs> Wicked A. What's <laughs> what was that? I don't know. I felt it. This is felt, kind of felt like throwing in a little Canadian there. This is like New England Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now this show may be a little bit abbreviated. I've got some work stuff I've got to do. So kind of have a hard stop for doing the recording but for and give it a topic peek behind on, the curtain already what the hell 